Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. Rivers have shaped our history of both rural and urban landscapes, and they are rich habitats for a wide biodiversity. Yet, according to the Rivers Trust, none of our 1,500 rivers are in good overall health. They all fail chemical standards and just 14% pass the bar for good ecological health. The main reason for this is that we're dumping waste in rivers. We use them to dispose of sewerage. We channel farm and road runoff straight into rivers. They carry industrial pollution and hidden wastes like microplastics and hormones. My guest today is Leanne Fur from Drinkable Rivers, and she's on a mission to make rivers drinkable again. To promote this, she walks the length of rivers, meeting communities, undertaking citizen science, and seeing what the river can teach us about creating a healthier planet. Leanne, it's great to have you on the show today um, because you're partway uh, through walking the length of the River Thames. And as we record this, uh, you are near Henley-on-Thames, where I live, and we, we're going to um, get together later after we've recorded the podcast. So it's great to have you on the show. And then uh, when you get further towards the end of your walk east of London, you are going to be doing some walking with some first milers as well, which is when we will put this uh, podcast out live. So um, really good to have you on the show. Um, how, how far have you walked down the Thames so far and how are you feeling? Yeah, feeling great, actually. Uh, I could uh, sleep a bit longer tonight, last night. So because today is actually in Henley an events day. So we didn't do um, walking today, but we have been, this is day 13 and um, it has been really quite diverse, both in the landscape and how the river is growing uh, with all the tributaries coming in and also hearing all the stories from the different people that are joining the walk because we have an open invitation for people to join. And it's so lovely to hear the different anecdotes, how people uh, use the river differently and what it means. And so it has been um, very rich. And also we stay with local people uh, and that is quite a privilege to get so the feel the generosity of the landscape and, and, and how my host, uh, our host, uh, welcomed us. Fantastic. And um, you're not a, a native uh, Brit. Um, what, why are you interested in rivers and, and, and in the nicest possible way? Why have you come to walk down Old Father Thames? Yes. So the, from a water perspective, we are neighbours, right? Because I live uh, in Zandvoort, uh, just out of Amsterdam on the coast, and uh, we're connected. And uh, when the North Sea was low once, uh, then all our rivers with the Rhine and the Meuse and the Thames were connected, actually. But now we're connected uh, via this saltwater body. And I have been walking rivers uh, for the past 10 years. I walked 18,000 kilometers. And um, uh, I've done all the neighboring countries so far. So from France and Belgium uh, and, and Germany and the Netherlands. And, and so it was uh, now time to, to visit uh, across, across the North Sea. And then the Thames is also such a famous river and it has all these famous places and, and famous stories. And because of also the river um, uh, shaping the landscape here, 
And so we thought also while walking, and it's very doable, the, the grandeur of the name, the Thames, in a way, it's just a month walk from source to sea. And so it, feeling that this could also have ripple effects. And the first time talking now also in English uh, language country will help as well. And simultaneously, we've just had uh, published a book, and that was just out uh, one week before we set off for the for the walk. So that's also a, a good timing for that. Excellent. And, and and what is the book called? We're like plugging things on the podcast. So the book is called Drinkable Rivers, How the River Became My Teacher. And for the 10, so it happened to be now that, that it's so actual right now. We were planning to walk it last year. That got postponed to this year. And, I, and a lot of that it's in the news now daily and that, that actually it's, it's of our concern for so many people. I think that's quite interesting right now that we come across and, and, and so many people are addressing their concern for the river. And it shows how we, in a short amount of time, we realize that we care. Uh, we realize also how connected we are with our water, that we are always a part of this hydrological cycle, whereas we didn't perhaps see ourselves like that. And that, that we become aware of um, if, if we don't maintain it, then we have to deal with it in a bigger way. And so there is what we are now um, sadly uh, picking fruits of as well, that maintenance. And did you become interested in rivers through an arts background? Are you from science or sort of social sciences, humanities? I mean, why did you get interested in rivers in the first place? My interest uh, grew from experiencing a river. So I had just finished studying business and um, I thought of doing a research in an area where the Cree and the Inuit live in northern Canada, Quebec. And I was planning on participating in a protest battle as a researcher. And I fell in love with the river. In a way, the, the research went to the background and I, I was participating more. And the people said, yeah, you, could, you can drink directly from the river. And that has changed my my life, my, my way of thinking, and also thinking how, how, how not my own river couldn't, wasn't drinkable, and that I had never even imagined it to be like that. And then I returned in, within three years uh, to this area. And because of a, a sequence of um, different industries, so forestry first, they built the roads and then mining, uh, and they had used mercury in the silver mining. And then why the protest battle took place was because they were planning on building an, a big hydro dam um, there. And once uh, in, within that three years, they had started building the dam, diverting the river, and, and that had distorted the balance of the river and the flow. And then the mercury became a problem. So it was both the beauty in that experience of drinking straight from the river and the shock of that within three years' time, that, that quality of drinkability got lost. And so uh, because of, of this balance getting, getting distorted. Yeah. So that put me onto this. And actually that experience with the river inspired me to study also holistic ecology. And so then now I'm equipped with three different backgrounds, um, business, philosophy, and whole systems ecology. And what's whole systems ecology? Is it something like uh, uh, Gaia theory, James Lovelock, or is it something yeah. different? Yeah, great, great that you know about that. Yeah, so I, I study holistic science at Schumacher College in Devon, at the, with where the DART is. 
and it's uh, it's it's it looking at as the world as one living organism. Um, and so how how all that 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 sentence everything is related how that works. And in and in that living organism, what if you make a, I guess an analogy to another organism, an animal or a human? What what's the role of the rivers? Yeah, so I've asked that also with other people, and funnily enough, um, someone who's a plant expert, and um, he he gave a, a primitive dental care course, uh, knowing like what what plants were we using, and I asked him the analogy, for instance, in our body, and I was I was always thinking about the rivers as our bloodstream, right? That was the most. Uh, but he actually said that our our teeth. <laughs> So I found it quite interesting. Um, so, but that was, an, of course, his answer. Um, yeah. So I would see them more as our, our arteries, our life arteries. And I have even also been uh, seeing how, while walking these rivers from source to sea and meeting so many people, and then also seeing the trees and the riverbanks and how everything shapes each other, and that that there's no boundary. We make words to make a boundary to see a river, to see a riverbank. But they are always relating to each other. And in a way, I suddenly got the insight. Oh, yeah, we are river families where water is our bloodline. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.com. .co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. Other examples where we have killed a river and then the, the society or humanity that was relying on near that river has, has, has gone as well. I mean, maybe with native populations in in, in areas where dams have been built or rivers have been diverted. I don't know. I mean, is, is there examples of that? Yeah, I can give the example that I experienced and right with it when I was 24 canoeing uh, in Northern Canada. So people were mainly living before forestry and mining and so subsistence. So they were subsistence hunters or uh, gatherers, um, uh, trappers. Uh, they were all living off the land, having that as their way of living. And I'm not per se seeing this example as idealizing it, but that was their real reality, living off the land. And, and in a way, social scientists, anthropologists, and, and this is not to, to blame that, but we sort of started to interpret that and seeing like, oh, there's sort of 100% unemployment in that area, but there were livelihoods. So it was a, just a different way. And when then we, we, we've come, we, as in, the humankind that were uh, thinking economic development is a good idea there with our uh, forestry proposals or, um, uh, well, whatever we, we were doing. And I think that's the fate of many uh, areas. I think even in the UK and in I'm from the Netherlands, but that has been already so long ago that we don't know it anymore. But where we then lose those livelihoods, and now it is a bigger problem that that river was their life source and their lifeline, and it's a savior line at the same time. But now when fish uh, suddenly are dying and deformed uh, and the water you drink is also polluted, then you, you cannot be provided with this food. You need to find other sources of food. 
And now diabetes is a big problem um, because they some now have imported meat. Um, and so you see the how the crumbling, how something they have been living there for maybe thousands of years, and that in a short amount of time, about 30, 40 years, they have had this uh, development in their area. It's crumbling and, uh, and, and it's quite devastating uh, the amount of also not only uh, physical changes, um, so many are migrating south and also uh, the mental health that it causes. And so this is unfortunately uh, one example uh, that I have experienced, but that is happening worldwide and that we have experienced ourselves as well, but we've forgotten it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I can think of several other examples as well. And we do seem to be going backwards. But you said we need to have rivers that can be drinkable again. Is that actually realistic? I mean, it's good having a, an ambition, which is this is what we're trying to do. But is it really in, in, the, in the sort of modern industrial world? Is it, is it really possible to drink from a river again? Well, I, I think it is uh, because so we are proposing this now as a compass that gives us a shared direction and also individual direction so that your daily life actions can be uh, guided by this question will it help towards a drinkable river or not. And it's something in a way simple. Of course, it will be more difficult to to see what it all entails and that you suddenly see oh, it really, it's the way we dress ourselves, the way with what we wash ourselves, uh, the way we eat, the way we transport. So you suddenly see it's everything. But once that, you say, ball gets rolling, I don't know if that's an English expression. Yes. When that flow is set set off, then when when we are nurturing this, that it becomes an inclination. Like when, when we realize that we are actually cutting our artery at the moment, that that's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're so working against what gives us life. If we feel that, but that is an important element, then I trust that that will be when we start to consistently um, ask this question individually and collectively as a, as a catchment, we will be able to reach that. Because if once we are not working against, say, how the soil works, how the water works, how the air works, then all those systems will start to help us work in favor of us. And it will. we have been seeing that with very degraded land areas where we have depleted the soils tremendously. Then when we've left it alone and when we maybe helped to get the circumstances in place for life to regenerate again, then quite quickly life came back. And of course, we have to deal with the past because all the nitrogen, for instance, of chemical fertilizers or of um, pesticides that are still in the in the soil. So even if we change tomorrow that, that everything helps towards a drinkable river, then we have to deal with the past that is still in the soil. So it won't happen overnight. But I do think if we don't work against, the living systems will help us a lot as well. And so once... It, it needs to get into our hearts to get into these daily actions. And I don't think that only by statistics and only alarming um, stories, we will get there. I do notice that uh, what the insights now so far, having walked one and a half week here along the Thames, is what the concerns gives us that we are angry uh, and frustrated and maybe even scared uh, of what is happening is it can be very productive, this emotion. It, it connects us together, 
it raises our awareness on, oh, what is so important? And it, it feels like we need to act now. It gives that momentum. But what I do also notice that that will be effective and productive on the short term. On the long term, we need, an, we need something that we really care about to persevere this. So indeed, first stop the dry spilling, then stop even spilling, then get it to a, drink, to a swimmable river, and then eventually a, an, a, a drinkable river. So I do mean it really real, but to use it now as a compass to give us direction. Uh, yeah, and I love it because it's actually very emotive. And if you just said, well, we want to make, make the Thames clean enough to swim in, that's a very small amount of people, but actually everybody needs to drink and you can relate to it. I Googled, when was the Thames last drinkable? And I got a stat up from Thames Water saying that the, that the water is, the water in the Thames, before it gets to the sea, it'll have been consumed by humans between eight and 10 times. So we've already, we're already drinking it, and that includes the sewage that's been pumped into it. So arguably, the Thames is drinkable now, but after the addition of a lot of chemicals and filtration. So actually, it's again, with one of these environmental issues, it's win-win, because as we move to a cleaner Thames and make it more drinkable on the journey... The fact that we're drinking it now, it's going to become more effective and we'll have to put less chemicals in to bring it up to a standard that it is drinkable. So even if even if we never get to the point of it being drinkable, just going on that journey will mean that we're drinking it anyway, so it's going to clean up. So once again, it's yeah, sort of... Yeah, we have the privilege that we are cleaning it, uh, right? Because I, yesterday I saw a kingfisher. The day before yesterday, I saw an otter. Really, like, what a gift from the tents that I was able to see that, because I know that that's quite uh, unique. But then to realize that the, the willow, um, the fish, that they are already drinking... Uh, your dog, when you're, uh, you walk along, uh, often also takes a sip. Uh, the swans, the royal swans, uh, they, they are drinking the river, but don't have the privilege to treat it. And so, indeed, it's not only a reality for us uh, in a treated way then, but it's also for all these animals and also for the food that grows here as well. Um, you know, so the, the, today's in many places, it's an apple day, Uh uh, people are uh, picking apples now. And so the apples, the, the root systems of the apple trees are also uh, drinking that water of that same catchment. Yeah, I heard the first day, so we have been reaching out to also to beer brewers, like no good beer without good water. And I heard these anecdotes also. You got that answer uh, visiting Thames Water website. So we have been these anecdotal stories that the people at the source are saying, yeah, people in London, when they order a beer, it has gone through 20 uh, livers before it reached their beer glass. <laughs> <laughs> Quite scary when you think about it. In the week and a half, you're walking from, so listeners, now you're, you're walking from the source of the Thames to the sea, so you're walking in the direction of the flow. What's it taught you so far? How generous uh, the Thames is and patient also, like, you know, when we pass a brewery that is from 1200 or we cross a bridge that is from the 1100, there's so much history and stories here. And then there is a house of Kate Bush and there George Clooney lives and there George Michael. It's like all these, these yeah, they, they choose also these places because it's accessible. People are living in Reading because they, they have one uh, has a job in London and the other in Oxford and that's then practical. So... 
we thank so much because of the river. Thanks to the river, we how do you say it in a way, nice way? We owe so much to the river, right? And and all many writers who are here and stories that were, and yet the river is quite modest. It's not a very big river here. And then to think like already just what from Tenswater I heard two and a half million school children are in the catchment of the of the Thames. Uh, so millions of people are are living here, and yeah, and then to think like this is our this is that lifeline, and then of course all the tributaries where that those those are also all the sources of the Thames, making the Thames uh, larger as we go. But I that's what I I learned the generosity of uh, of of the river. Yeah, absolutely. And what are the people you so you, you mentioned earlier that the people that you've walked with are angry? What are they? Is everybody angry or just some people angry? And what's the people along the Thames? What are they thinking and feeling so far? Yeah, I could say now that, that, that I think the moment that we've now chosen to, to walk, almost everybody who has joined, and of course that's, um, that's already a, a, a selection, right? I didn't go now into the communities because there are so many communities in Reading that, that maybe don't have no idea still about the water and don't care because... Or they might care, but they are so concerned with other things uh, going on in their life. So it's also a privilege to somehow be concerned about this. Uh, but the people who have joined, and we've now had uh, about 250 to 300 people who have uh, either joined our walk or one of our uh, events, have are concerned. Yeah, and I think have we had had we walked it last year, it might have been a bit less. Uh, have we walked it 10 years ago even more, uh, fewer people so now I would say that almost everybody is quite concerned about it um, that we realize and that is quite unique then actually it's of course also yeah it's a no-go to have dry spilling so that when there's no rain that even then raw well, sewage enters our, our waterways and so that's something we need to see what can we do? How can we get our landscapes, for instance, much more uh, um, prone to receiving a lot of the rainwater? Yeah, right. That 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 in case there will be a lot of spilling, that 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 water doesn't immediately go into our sewage system. So in that ca- case, we can contribute ourselves a lot as inhabitants as well. Um, also, because then with their concerns, I put another perspective. Like, well, if if there would not be such dry spillings anymore and all the, the, the wastewater treatment would be treated. Like, for instance, that is happening in the Netherlands. And yet a lot of the, so we have different, a separate system, wastewater uh, is treated by our water boards. That's a, 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 a governing body um, that's older than our national government. Uh, they are responsible for that. Uh, and you have the drinking water companies that's also state-owned, but they're like a company, run like a company. Uh, but both of them are very concerned. So they are functioning, but 20% of the things that go in, they cannot get out. And ecotoxologists tell that uh, every 1.6 seconds, a new substance enters our living environment. This is worldwide. And we don't know the consequence of. That can be plastics, it's uh, PFAS, it's um, uh, medicines and so 
a lot, for instance, with the medicines in the Netherlands, and I don't think it will be very different in the UK, but I don't know the statistics there, but we have 17, 17 or 18 million people living in our country and 11 million people chronically use medicines. So there's no perspective that that becomes any less. And so that's shockingly large number. So if we then look at ourselves in what are we using, antidepressant, uh, yeah, sleeping pills. Um, so what can we do to create also a lifestyle that is really healthy? And uh, of course, we need medicines for short-term acute treatments. But we, can we look into ourselves to, to see how can we really have more of a lifestyle that is also healthier for ourselves and for our rivers. We're using rivers as a dumping ground, which would be bad enough, but then our life is reliant on them because we're extracting that water and trying to clean it up in a way that, that, that makes it drinkable. And sure, we can get out the, the big stuff, but actually what's left in there that we don't understand, and it's sort of when you think about it, it's quite terrifying what's going on. Yeah, and that's why I then, when I hear the concern, in that sense, when I give this perspective, it deepens the concern, right? Because then it's like, oh, when that is solved, we still have a problem. And so to realize that we can actually, with every little step that we do, you know, the soap, what color does it have? You know, you see sometimes blue or purple um, things to, to, to or pink to, to clean our toilets, but what is that made of? And then it's clean for us, like an instant. But what do we flush that into, right? That's like a little anecdote of how with every choice that we make, we have that impact. And so it's not to frighten us like and burden us like, oh, wow, no, it's to feel also that we have that influence, right? And so we can also have a positive influence. So one thing that I learned by doing the citizen science along the way is I thought that going from source to sea, that the river would just get uh, worse and worse as I would go. And that's not the case. And there you see that self-healing capacity of both the rivers and the soils, but also us as humans and communities. So you can see suddenly that when, when there is a different kind of area that you allow the river before it would enter into the river, the floodplains, for instance, that there, there is a buffer zone, what effect that has, or where there is more meandering again, rather than the straightening and, and, and the fast speed of getting water out, but the meandering, how that will help. And so the reintroduction of the beaver and the rewilding and those nature-based solutions or biomimicry, uh, how it's also called, you can see suddenly how those uh, local changes in the landscape and the different houses, the different ways of living has an effect. And you can see it, the water is a mirror of how we are living. On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be? I would love to put a tear in there. And, and so when I first took my first sip with my hands from the Rupert River 
uh, when I, they said, you can drink straight from the river, parallel, a tear came down my cheek because of the sense of beauty that I experienced by doing this. And I was like, oh yeah, all our ancestors used to do this. This was normal. Tap water is actually quite extraordinary with these millions of uh, uh, kilometers or miles of, of pipelines. So the steer reminded me actually of a certain depth of this beauty that I was experiencing. And the tear came back again when I realized returning to that area that I couldn't drink from the river anymore within three years. And then there was a tear of shock and of sadness of, wow, if we don't care, things will disappear. And Paul Hawkins said, an end to birth. And so this, this also this mourning of what gets lost is also real. And that emotion put me, became my fuel. Um, the other became my inspiration, my food, and this became my fuel that put me into, like, it needs to be now, my personal compass and our societal compass and even our economic compass. Um, so a tear, please. Fantastic. A lovely story as well. Thank you very much. When will you complete the Thames River Walk? What's the last day? So our last day will be 16th of October. And that's when we walk from El Hollows to Isle of Grain. So it's our last day of a week almost along the marsh and the estuary on the south bank we'll be walking. And then our final event will be um, the 17th of October at the Dutch Embassy. Um, both by the water and infrastructure people and the culture people. I emphasize that because I'm very happy that water and culture belong together. And so it is about our way of living. And so everybody's welcome. More first milers or listeners uh, can join to, to meet us uh, near Hyde Park. And that will be then uh, the final of the walk. And then hopefully we will identify more organizations who pick up that citizen science and continue that. Uh, currently, we have 60 hubs in 20 different countries and none yet along the dam. So we hope that that will be picked up and continued. And also that we will identify local um, partners, people, organizations and projects that are willing to adopt the drinkable rivers as a compass. Brilliant. And if people want to find out more, what's your website? Yeah, so our general website is drinkablerivers.org. Then for the book, it's book.drinkablerivers.org. You can order your book and it will be uh, printed on demand wherever you are in the world. And uh, you can order it via your local bookstore. And uh, thames.drinkablerivers.org is uh, with the itinerary of the walk. And very welcome. Uh, I hope to see you along the Thames. Fantastic. That is great. And my final question before we wrap up is, have you got a plan for your next river after the Thames? Yes. Yeah, so one smaller one, I've been invited by inhabitants of the Berkel River. That's a, a, a side river in the Rhine watershed and starting in Germany and ending in the Netherlands. And we are participating in a larger uh, European uh, project and we will be walking uh, the Danube. Uh, for sure in the mouth in Romania and who knows uh, uh, what other stretches I, I, I'm really doubting to do that it would be amazing to do the source to see but it will require one year of preparation and one year of walking so that is it has quite some implication about uh, my life so uh, I, I don't know yet that one yeah no well come back maybe and walk the seven because i think the seven is our most polluted river in the uk so maybe come back yeah, and do that one also- the Wye River with the, yeah. 
Yeah. So, but I also encourage you yourself uh, can do your river walk, and if you let us know, we can uh, provide you with support. And um, but I, I I will encourage also for people to pedal or walk or, or cycle their river and, um, and, and and engage with people. And oh, to stay with local people is really. So wonderful. So, uh, Bruce, I'll see you here now soon, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So, Leanne, that's great. So, uh, Leanne from Drinkable Rivers, it's been a huge pleasure having you on First Miles Climate Heroes. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you. I'm Bruce Brightley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.